Are you ready for God's word? Are you ready for God's word? Today I'm kicking off a series um, that will lead us up to Easter, uh, which is called Nothing Else. Nothing Else. And what I really want to talk about is the grace of God. The grace of God. And when I say grace of God, depending on maybe your denomination or if you've been in church or if you've not been in church or where you came from or where you didn't come from, that can mean a lot of things, the grace of God. But I want to spend some time really digging and diving into it to understand how good the grace of God is and how good God is. And, and whenever I do a, a series of messages in every message, the, the way those come to me is um, I'm not really a, a, a feeler. Um, I'm not the most emotionally expressive that may, you may find that interesting. Like, I, I mean, when I speak, I, I kind of am. I emote pretty well when I speak. But, but normally, like, this is Pastor Marty happy. This is Pastor Marty sad. This is Pastor Marty angry. And so that's why I have to tell people like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm really good. I understand. My face has a natural frown to it. I prayed Jesus would turn it upside down and make a smile out of it. You know, we used to sing that song in, in kids' church when I grew up. But yeah, it's just, I get it, you know. But, and, and sometimes I have to tell people, like, I have to tell them I'm angry because I don't, I don't yell and scream and blow up that much, you know. So, but I have to tell people, like, I'm very angry right now. And sometimes they're like, you are? Oh, yeah, like. My grandfather says, spit nails. Like, I'm angry. I know it doesn't show up yet. When it shows up, it'll be too late for you. <laughs> so I'm not always a big feeler, but, but so many times the, the way that I come to messages is I feel them in here. And, and it becomes like a burden that I just, I got to tell you this or I'm going to explode kind of thing. And, and, and the reason I called the series Nothing Else with a Big Zero is because I, I need to tell you that, that, the, that, that the blessing of God, the goodness of God in your life is by Jesus alone and nothing else. It is not, it is not us. It is all him. Jesus plus nothing is enough. Jesus minus nothing is everything. Like there is nothing else. It is all Jesus and we're talking about our salvation, or even as Pastor McCall and talking about our protection. Whatever it is that we're talking about, if it comes from God, it's because of Jesus and nothing else. Are you with me? Because I think sometimes as church people, we think some things come from God and some things we earn. And we can get stuck in a mindset of trying to earn the favor of God. And when we talk about grace, everybody knows this definition, but grace is unmerited favor. So, so it is goodness that you do not merit. L let me give you my definition. Undeserved, unearned goodness. It's not that he just doesn't give you bad. It is unearned and undeserved goodness. And we have that because of Jesus and nothing else. I just want to make sure that we, we get that drilled down into our souls, into our hearts, that no matter how righteous we may become, and, and that, that's an oxymoron because you can't actually become more righteous. You can do more righteous things. So let me back up and say, and that if you don't understand, like I can't become more, no, you can't. You cannot be more saved or less saved. You either are or you are not. You have been made right with God or you are not right with God. You do not become more righteous. And I think that's one of the lies of the enemy, that the more good things I do, the more righteous I become. No, no, no. You can do more righteous things, but that does not make you any more righteous. And I'm afraid sometimes we think, well, I've got to do more righteous things to get more. It's like, we, it's like every level of our Christianity is like a level in a video game. And if I get all these things right, I get to go to the next level. And if I, get, if I, if I win this level, I get to go to the next level. And so God's got all these things, but I have to keep qualifying for it level, each level at a time. And what I want you to understand, it is Jesus and nothing else. Every level, every blessing, all of his goodness, all he has for you, all he wants to do in you, it is Jesus and nothing else. Are you with me? You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. But he wants to be good to you. 
Okay, that was like just the introduction. <laughs> so 2 Samuel chapter 9, you can turn or click there. What's going on? Israel wanted a king. So finally God said, fine, don't, you don't want a king. They're going to mess you up. And they're like, no, every other nation has a king. Parents, everybody else is doing it. I was, oh, this is bad because my mom's in the service. I was thinking one time, I was such a smart aleck. It's amazing that I survived. But, um, but I remember one time I was doing that. I want to go do this. And she, you know, for whatever reason, she said, no, you, you're not going to do that. And I said, everybody else would do it. She's like, well, everybody else was standing in the middle of the street. Would you stand there? And I, of course, man, I'm like, if there were no cars coming, <laughs> that's not wisdom. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, just thank God and mama for the grace. And so, uh, um, but anyways, every, every nation wanted a king. Israel was a king. They get Saul. Saul um, looked like a king on the outside, but not on the inside. So he eventually fell um, and disobeyed God. And so God then found a king that didn't look like one on the outside, but looked like one on the inside. His name was David. He said, I found a man whose heart is after my heart. Um, who's, who, 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 he, he's got something on the inside. In fact, when Samuel goes to anoint him king, nobody can believe that God is actually wanting David to be king because he, he looked like a, like a messed up little boy, dirty and muddy and, you know, and they're like, he doesn't look like king on the outside. God said, I'm not looking for what looks like good on the outside. I'm looking for somebody that looks good on the inside. Aren't you glad that God sees our insides? Like the rest of the world, they can judge and they, they, you don't have it all together. And it's all like, yeah, but you know what I got? I got a heart for God. If I got nothing else, I got a heart for God. And God looks on the inside. He doesn't look on the outside. He's not checking out my Instagram to see if he can be my friend. He knows what's going on on the inside. But anyway, so let me fast forward this story. So uh, David, after he is anointed king, does this incredible thing. He goes back out into the field to watch after the sheep. Because David understands there's a, there's a time of calling and there's a time of sending and they're not always the same. There's a time of promise. There's a time of fulfillment. They're not always the same. And sometimes we think just because we have a promise, it's the time of fulfillment. And sometimes we need to understand that God gives a promise and then he lets it season to bring us into the fullness of it when it is time. And that the promise that he has given us, I didn't share this last, but the promise this is probably for somebody. The promise that he gave you has more to do with his agenda than what you want. And his agenda is based on his time frame, not your time frame. If you have the promise, there will be a fulfillment. You just have to trust him in the process. Okay, that, that may help you. Anyway, so then David um, serves in the house of Saul. Then Saul gets jealous of David. Then da Saul tries to kill David. David has run for Saul. Like he has to hide out with these men in a cave and all this. Saul finds him like five times. You know, David could have killed Saul, didn't, because he's like, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. Um, this is just really the cliff notes. And so anyways, uh, then long story short, then finally Saul is killed in battle. He and his son Jonathan are killed by the Philistines at Mount Geboa. And, and you need to understand the importance of his son Jonathan, because for us to understand the text, we have to know Jonathan was Saul's son. And Jonathan made a covenant with David. And this covenant was like what you talk about in Old Testament Bible covenants, blood covenant, your people, my people, my family, your family, my possessions, your possessions, your enemies, my enemies, you have my place in my family, I have your place in your family. That was the type of covenant David and Jonathan made. And so when Jonathan and Saul are killed in battle, then, then David is now going to become king and he's king first of Judah. And then Saul's other son, Ishbosheth, in case you're pregnant and looking for a name, Ishbosheth. That way, every time you introduce your child, someone will say, bless you. You know, Ishbosheth, bless you. <laughs> bless you. And so um, anyways, um, he, he holds out for a while with Abner and turn of events. Anyways, there's a kind of a, a war. And then eventually David becomes king of, of both Judah and Israel. And David is king. This is several years into David's reign. Um, and then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And that's where we're going to pick up because now David is king. And he said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Remember, Jonathan was his, his covenant friend, right? Now, there was a servant of Saul's house named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said, are you Ziba? And he said, yes, at your service. And the king said, is there still anyone alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? 
And Ziba actually said, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Now, now, and, and time out here. So, so Jonathan had a, a son named Mephibosheth, another baby name if you're pregnant. You, in fact, if you're having twins, Isbosheth and Mephibosheth. And if people can say that and not cuss, then... <laughs> And so Jonathan had a son. Well, when, when Jonathan and Saul die in battle, everyone knows David's going to be king. And so as the story goes, the, 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 the lady, the girl who was taking care of Mephibosheth, they're all fleeing the house of Saul because they know David's about to come and he's about to be king. And as the story goes, she either dropped him or fell on him and broke his legs and they didn't set right because they, he had to go in hiding, essentially, because when a king came to power, if, they were, if it was a new family, they killed all the heirs of the throne. So they assumed David's going to kill Mephibosheth. He's the only heir of the throne. So they're running with him, and they drop him. And anyway, so that's who Mephibosheth is. It's important we understand. So he was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. David and Jonathan were covenant. So David says, is there anyone still from the house of, of Saul that I can show kindness? And, and Zabah, or Ziba, depending, in, in, in Hebrew, it would be more Zabah, but, and we say it Ziba, but you'd say it however you want to. Uh, verse 4, it says, where is he, the king asked. And Ziba said, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Lodabar means lack, the place of lack, without, actually, is what the word means. Uh, the picture, we, the place of no pasture, barrenness, okay? He's hiding out there. Lodabar was on the way to nowhere. It was after you turned off the paved road, right? For all my redneck friends, right? So, um, how many lived after you turned off the paved road? You understand? All right. So, um, and so he's in Lodabar. And so the King David uh, had him brought before the king. Um, and then verse six, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed to pay honor to him. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here am I, I'm at your service. And verse seven said, don't be afraid, David said. And remember, Mephibosheth thinks this is it. I'm going to be killed. He's found out that I'm Jonathan's son and they found me. And, and this is the end. I'm, I'm deserving of death. And so, so David said, don't be afraid to let him know. I'm sure because he looked afraid. That's why he said, don't be afraid because he looked afraid. And David said, look at this turn of events for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed to the ground and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson is always provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my Lord has commanded so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a son named uh, Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, even though he was lame in both feet. That's an incredible story, isn't it? It's an incredible story. I, I call this message too good to be true. Too good to be true. Because I think if you're looking at Mephibosheth and what just happens in this story, it's too good to be true. That, that you could go from Lodabar, deserving really of, of being put to death just, just because of, of the, 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 the king taking over and then yet to be summoned and brought and have everything that was ever your family's restored to you have servants to work the fields for you and eat every day at the king's table for the rest of your It's too good to be true. It's like, it's like if you woke up tomorrow with the winning lottery numbers in your email. It's too good to be true. Um, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. God, help us today to see you more clearly. Speak to our hearts, God, words of truth and life that transform us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, really, this is a great story. It is a great story, but it's actually a great allegory. 
I mean, it's real, but it could be an allegory. It could be your story. It kind of is your story. Because if, if we were to replace the characters and we said all of, all of us are Mephibosheth, we're, we're all stuck in the place of lack, no pasture, and we're lame, we can't help ourselves. But there was a king who was God, and God made a covenant with a man named Jesus. And because of that covenant, now the king says, is there anyone left of the house of, of, of Jesus, of the house of humanity that I can show kindness to for Jesus' sake? I think one of the things we sometimes get confused is the fact that you're not in a covenant with God. God did not, let me say it probably a better, more clarifying way. God did not make a covenant with you. God made a covenant with Jesus. God tried to make covenants with men. He tried with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. He tried a lot. And every time, you know what they all had in common? They all failed. They not, no man could uphold their part of the covenant. So that's why when the fullness of time had God, come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. In other words, God sent Jesus and God made a covenant with Jesus. And by faith, we benefit from it. So we are benefactors. Is that the right word? We benefit from beneficiaries. We are beneficiaries of the benefactor by faith, we benefit from the covenant God made with Jesus. Now, here's why that's good news. Because it can't fail. Here's why it stands. Because Jesus was perfect. You don't want God to have a covenant with you. Because you know you. I wouldn't bet my best day For the grace of God. But because Jesus did it, now I'll bet on my worst day that I'm covered by the grace of God. Amen. And so, so it's really an allegory of our story. We're in Lodabar. We're lame. We're stuck. Deserving of death. Undeserving of goodness. Undeserving of kindness. In the stuck in the place of not enough, lack, and really helpless. It's really who we are. But what I want, what I want you to see is that it wasn't just the king said, okay, there's Mephibosheth, I should probably kill it. No, I'm just going to let him live. It wasn't that the king said, I'm not going to do bad to him because of Jonathan's sake. It was, he said, I'm going to do good for him. Because I think sometimes, sometimes I think if we're honest, we think, well, God doesn't give us what we deserve because of Jesus' sake. Write this down, point number one, because that is the first point. We're going to talk about it. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. So let's talk about this. So, so justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And I think a lot of people understand mercy, but not grace. Because what we think is there, again, if we took the story and, and, and they said, hey, David, you should know Mephibosheth is living down there in Lodabar. He's actually the heir of the throne in the house of Saul. And David said, you know what? I should kill him. And then David said, I'm not going to kill him for Jonathan's sake. And a lot of us, that's where our relationship is with God. We think God is not giving us what we deserve because of Jesus, which is mercy. And that is true. That is true. And the only reason we're not getting what we deserve is because of Jesus, not because of us. But I want you to, I want you to see grace then because David didn't just say, well, I'm not going to kill him. Because of Jonathan, David said this, because of Jonathan, I'm going to give him 
everything that his family ever had, everything that should have been his, everything that was purposed and intentioned for him, all of his inheritance I'm going to give him. In other words, I'm going to give him all the goodness that I can because of Jonathan's sake. I'm going to give him what he doesn't deserve. And so this is, what, this is what grace is for us, that, that God wants, to, listen to me, this is great news, by the way, great news. God wants to give you what you do not deserve. It's not that God is just not giving you what you deserve. You deserve death. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> right? Look at this, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. How many in here are in all? All have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. Right? Romans 6, I'll read in a minute, but Romans 6 says, and you know what you earn when you sin? The wages, sin pays really well and pays on time. Because the wages of sin is death. So let's, let's, let's review. How many have sinned? What do you deserve for sin? How many deserve death? You guys are the smartest class I've ever had. You're doing so good. Look at you. I see you out there. I see you. Now let's talk about sin because you're like, well, I don't know. Because here's what we do in, in religious cultures is we, uh, we have levels of sin. Because there are some sins. Oh yeah, just read Instagram. <laughs> Especially in election year. <laughs> I mean, because there are those people. There are those people. Who commit the abominations. The abominables. Not the snowman, the sins. <laughs> Well, he kind of nervous, isn't it? Like, <laughs> hope he's not going to talk about, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, in church, because, I mean, it's totally okay if we gossip, but let us get on Instagram to make a statement about gender confusion or same-sex attraction, because those are unpardonable sins. <laughs> like, it's totally okay, you know. It's okay to lie a little bit, you know. But let me talk about abortion doctors for a minute. Y'all still there? <laughs> Dear God, move on. Dear God, move on. This is what I hear. But here's what James says. James says you can keep the whole law, but if you struggle at one small part, Let's define sin for a minute because the word sin, most people know the word sin means to miss the mark. But did you know it really means more than that? It means to miss the mark by the smallest margin possible. Not by the greatest margin, by the smallest margin. It means to miss the mark by the least amount you could miss the mark and actually miss the mark. That's what sin means. How many have sinned? Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. At least half of you. Good. Okay. We'll get the other half this time. All right. Um, and then James says, so if you stumble at just one part of the law, it's not that you're guilty of breaking that part of the law. No, 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 no. No, no, no. If you've ever gossiped, you're guilty of adultery. You're guilty of murder. Because you stumbled at one part, so you broke the whole law. Because we're not careful, we'll become Simon the Pharisee when Jesus is, you know, he's comparing the, the woman that came in to wash Jesus' feet 
And he's, he, you know, and he's not anointing, he's not washing the feet, he's not anointing the feet. And Jesus is like, you know, some people think they've been given a lot, forgiven a lot and some people think they've been forgiven a little. And the whole moral of the story is we've all been forgiven the same amount. It's more than we can afford. But if we're not careful, we kind of get the, well, I'm not as bad as them. <clears throat> it, it would take more grace for God to save them. Actually, it'd take more grace for God to save you because you don't even know you need it. And so, so, so how many of us sinned again? How many sinners do we have? We have sinners. Okay, we got more that time. Praise God. <laughs> and so, so Romans 5.12 says, so sin came into the world through one man, that would be Adam. And then death reigned through sin Look at this. And death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. So, so the wages of sin is death. So what did we deserve? So in sin, we have been sentenced to death. Are you with me? That's our sentence. No getting around it because how many of us sin? So how many of us are dead? Right? So, so we are sentenced. We are, we are judged, condemned, and sentenced to death. So then Jesus comes and Jesus takes our sin, meaning he is judged in our place. He is condemned in our place. He is sentenced in our place and he dies our death for us. So sin sentences you to death. Are you with me? So hear how I say this, please. So grace sentences you to life. You have been sentenced because of Jesus. You have, and nothing else. You have been sentenced. You got no choice but to have eternal life in heaven if you believe in Jesus. He's not going to, you can say, no, I want to go to hell. He's say, I'm sorry. You were judged clean. You were judged justified. You were sanctified. And you were sentenced to heaven for life. Man, that's good. There's a place in Revelation where Jesus amened his own preaching. That's kind of where I'm at this morning. <laughs> Listen, and because of that, we don't relate to God based on our goodness. We relate to God based on Jesus' goodness, which is consistent and constant, unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you with me? Mephibosheth was at the table because David and Jonathan had a covenant. Are you with me? He didn't deserve it, but he was there. Oh, okay, okay, write this down. Second thing, second thing. Got to go on. Got to go on. Second thing, grace gives us what we can't obtain. It gives us what we don't deserve, but it gives us what we can't obtain. Meaning there's not only, not only can we, we don't deserve it, but we can't earn it. You can't achieve it. Try all you want to. You can't be good enough. Second Samuel 9, 8, it says, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully. He said, he said, who is your servant that you should show kindness? I love this because it's a picture to a dead dog like my, like me. To a dead dog. Like he could have said, you know, I'm not worthy. That's good. It means the same thing. But he said, no, no, no. Why are you being kind to a dead dog? What a great picture. What do you do with a dead dog? It's the only thing you can do. It's dead. It's rancid. It stinketh. That's King James. But yet I think it's such a great picture of Mephibosheth and it's such a great picture of where we were when Christ found us. Paul would say in Romans 5, when we were utterly helpless, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time to die for us sinners or to die for the ungodly, one version says. 
when we were utterly helpless. When you think of a dead dog, think about this. He is lame in his feet. He has rags. He is not able to help himself. He's not able to go get a job. He's not able to go earn income. There is no SSI. Are you with me? He, he is helpless. And he is invited to the king's table. Not because he was good enough or smart enough. Not, not because he was gifted. Do you notice David didn't bring him in and say, you know, I really I'd be good to you. I just want to know, what are you able to do for me? Like, are you able to serve me really well? Because if you can be a good, faithful servant, I'll keep being good to you. Can you be a life group leader? Can you tithe? Can you listen to Hillsong and post it on Instagram? Can you have a morning Devo time with me every day? Like, I want to be good to you, but we got to work this out. I need to see what you can do. I need to see if, if, you, can, if you can get there. He couldn't get there. He was lame. He was dirty. He, he was stinky. He was dead in his sin and without hope. And he could do nothing to change that. He was powerless. We said, we said Romans 5, Paul said, when we were utterly helpless. Some versions say when we were without strength. When, when we couldn't help our own decision, when we couldn't, our, our own selves, when we couldn't get to the king's table, when we couldn't find or chart a path, or we couldn't be good enough, or we couldn't achieve enough, or we couldn't work hard enough, when we could not obtain it, we could not gain it, we could not work for it, we could not earn it, Christ came. And now we're at the king's table, not because we were good enough, worked hard enough, we earned our way there. No, no, no. You didn't earn your way there. It was for Jesus' sake. He earned your way there. Your seat at the table is secured by Jesus, not by you. Look at this. Galatians. Paul said this to Galatians. You've got to understand the Galatians because the Galatians had received the grace of Jesus. Now, what does grace mean? It means that I'm made right with God by believing Jesus did everything necessary. In other words, it's Jesus and nothing else. That's what that, that's what that means. So made right with God. So 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 he's writing to the Galatians and, and they were saved by by grace meaning Jesus and nothing else, Jesus plus nothing else, Jesus minus nothing else, only Jesus, Jesus, right? And then they started going back into the law to say they had to keep the law to maintain their position with Christ, maintain their position with God. And Paul writes to them and he's like, guys, don't be stupid. Ultimately, that's kind of what he said. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That was his words, actually, in the King James. And so look what he writes in Galatians 2.16, because he says it three times in one verse. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. So they can't earn it. That's what he says. They can't earn it. But faith in Jesus Christ, that's how we're justified. What is the word justified? Justified means to be made right with God, right? Justified, if you want a Bible school trick, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, Okay. So know that the person is not justified by the works of the law, meaning rule keeping, rule following, doing good things. But they're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Three times he says, you can't be made right with God by what you do. You can't be made right with God by your behavior. I know this makes like religious people nervous. How are you going to make people do right if you, don't, if you don't tell them the law, if you don't keep them under law? Well, the Bible says that the law is the strength of sin. The more you preach the law, the more people sin. Right? The more you preach the law, the more people sin. That's what the Bible says. 
The strength sends the law. First Corinthians 15, go read it. It's amazing. But the more you talk about the goodness of God, the more people feel free to know him because they're not looking at what disqualifies them. They're not looking at themselves. They are looking at Jesus and how good he is and how gracious God is. You can't, you can't, it's one of the greatest scriptures on grace. Everybody knows this, Ephesians 2, 8, for it's by grace that you've been saved. And let me just say, it's through faith. And everybody's like, well, I know it's all grace, but you can't really say it's nothing else because we have to have faith. Back up, buckaroo, hold on to this one. The Bible says that each man is given, that's grace, a measure of faith. Galatians 2, 20, Paul would say, the life we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God, meaning His faith working in us. So even the faith that you have, you didn't earn. It was grace. It really is Jesus and nothing else. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, not of works. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift. Not of works, not of yourselves. You don't earn it. Essentially, there are two ways to be right with God. Two ways, only two ways. Be perfect. And let me say that, and I say it that way. I'm not saying keep the law. Do you understand you can't, and even if you could, it doesn't work? Do you understand that, that the law was not given to make you right with God? You cannot become right with God through the rules by church attendance and doing this and not doing that and don't lie and tell the truth and, and don't commit adultery. But, you know, and, and if I don't do these things, still didn't make it right with God. The, the law wasn't implemented. It, it's perfect. It's God's perfect standard. But it wasn't implemented to make you right with God. It was implemented to show you that you're not right with God. Do you understand the giving of the law was the beginning of grace? Because the Bible said, Paul said, I wouldn't have known covetedness I didn't say that right, but you understand. It's one of those King James things. It's one of the commands. I wouldn't know what coveting was if the law hadn't told me. In other words, thanks be to God that he defines, he gave me the law to tell me what sin was so I would know I needed a savior. And that's what the law was given so that every mouth would be stopped and we would all become guilty before God so that we would be accepting of a savior who did what we couldn't do for ourselves. So the only way to be right with God is I have to be perfect. So let's just take a quick poll. How many perfect people do we have? Your wife is next to you. Just in case you were thinking. Well. <laughs> so I either have to be perfect or I have to receive grace. Not of ourselves. It's a gift. There's only two ways to be right with God. Be perfect or receive his grace. His undeserved, unearned goodness. Here's the third thing. Grace can't be achieved. It can only be received. I either be perfect or I have to receive grace. I have to believe that Jesus was perfect. Either be perfect or believe he was. It's my only two options. Um, 2 Samuel 9, verse 9, it says, The king summons Eva and saw Stuart, and he said, I have given, look at this, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to him. Everything that belonged to the house of Saul. Everything that was supposed to be his. Everything that belongs to a king. I've given it to him. It's, it's not that I'm not giving him what he deserves. I'm giving him everything that he doesn't deserve. Romans 8 said, If God didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all? things? Not some things. Do you understand... Everything, that's why grace is so important. Without grace, I can't know God. 
Without grace, I can't come near God. Without grace, His Spirit can't be in me. But without grace, everything God wants to do in and through my life, everything God wants to give me, all of His goodness comes one way, His grace. You don't earn any of it. You can't earn any of it. It's either grace or it's works. Romans 11 verse 6 says, and since, through, and, and since it is through God's kindness, then it's not by our good works. For in that case, God's grace wouldn't be grace. It wouldn't be free and undeserved. And that's what grace has to be, free and undeserved. And here's what he's saying. Listen, it's either grace or it's you. Either your works, your goodness, your behavior, it's either grace or it's you. It can't be, let me, let me say it this way, and once you put just 1% you in it, it's not grace anymore. Once, once it's 1% works, it's no longer grace. And according to Paul, Christ died in vain. It's all Jesus or nothing. And I know we're like, but, but wait, I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray every day and I'll grow, 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 grow. It's one of those old children's church songs we used to sing, right? But wait a second, wait a second. I, I, I've got I've to do this and not do that and yet do this and not do that. Listen, I'm not against doing good things, but the good things is not why God is able to do, be good to you. Please hear me. Yes, yes, we, righteousness should compel us to do good things, but good things does not make us righteous. If good things makes us righteous, Christ died in vain. So it is Christ and nothing else. It's not 90% Jesus and 10% me. It's not 99% Jesus and 1% me. The reason God is good to me, my salvation, peace, and joy, and every blessing that God wants to give me, anything God wants to do in and through my life is because he is good and he alone has done everything. Look at the passage. What did Mephibosheth do to get to the table? What kind of deal did he cut? Like, well, you know, King, you know, if I, like I'm sitting here at your table. If I want to move up on your table, like, is there a way I can move up the table? Like, you know, I could do more prayer or something. And you laugh. But listen to me. How many times have you gone to prayer and reminded God about how good you are because you needed him to do something for you? Oh, we don't talk about that. <laughs> or how many times have you compared yourself? You know, God, they're not doing what I'm doing because I'm a loud group leader. <sighs> I'm tithing. <laughs> working in children's. I'm working in the two-year-olds. <laughs> so I have no hair left. <sighs> and yet, God, you bless them. You're not blessing me. Listen to you. You're under law. You're under law. That's why you can't receive. I don't think you want to go to God and have a conversation about how you measure up against the law. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. And, and think about this. Now, what did Mephibosheth do to get to the table? Everybody? Nothing. Didn't do a darn thing. But here's what happens. Here's amazing power of grace. You ready for this? Do you know what happens when a lame man sits at the king's table? It covers his lameness. He looks like everybody else. And that's the amazing power of grace. But the problem is when, when grace covers our lameness, if we're not careful after a while, we forget we're, we're lame. And now we start thinking, maybe I've got to do some things to stay at the king's table. Maybe I have to, maybe I need to pay the king back for his goodness. Pay some penance. And if we're not careful, we'll start thinking, well, I need to base my relationship now. Like, I got to the table because he was good, but I stay at the table because I'm good. 
And we're not careful. We'll start reminding the king. Now, remember, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Like, they cut me off. I didn't flip them off. My wife went over budget. I didn't say anything. <laughs> My husband got angry, and I was still nice to him. <laughs> you know, what, and, and we went out careful. Listen to me. Listen to me. What did he do to get to the table? Nothing. What did he have to do to stay at the table? Oh, no, we don't like that. Don't say that, Pastor. Don't say that because we need people to do stuff and you got to act holy and you... Listen to me. If his actions... Because this is what... Unfortunately, sometimes... Listen, I know you're, I'm going to blow your mind with something. Because what we think is we're saved by grace. But then our works have to kick in if we're going to stay in our position. And it's so sad because we're given a, a beautiful and wonderful relationship with God by his goodness. And then we start basing our place with God on our performance. If Mephibosheth's, now listen to me, if Mephibosheth's performance couldn't get him to the table, then his performance could not have him sent away from the table. Some of you are like, is it okay to clap like that? Because I don't know if I even like that because I was raised. Because what are you saying? I can just live however. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, what I'm saying is we want to talk about grace. And most of the time, even church leaders, they want to mix law in with grace because they're scared if people really understood the grace of God. Most of the time, they don't understand themselves. I'm so glad that my relationship with God, having been saved for years, decades, I'm so glad that my relationship with God is today based on Jesus and not on me. And no matter how much I've prayed or how much I've read the Bible or how much money I've given or how many mistakes I've made, today, my relationship with God, my seat at the table, has nothing to do with my performance. It has everything to do with His goodness. So what did Jonathan do to get to the table? Nothing. It was a gift. Look at this. I think we missed this. Ephesians 2 says, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Romans 6, the wages of sin are death, it, it, but, but the gift of God's eternal life. Romans 5, 17 talks about we who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Our seat at the table is a gift. Now, let me ask you a question. Has anybody in here ever gotten a gift? Anybody? Some of you are like, I don't know. It's a trick question. Have you ever received a gift that your kids didn't give you because you paid for the gift if your kids gave it to you? Okay, are you with me? But have you ever received a gift? Like some of you have. Some of you, apparently, you're on the naughty list every year. Okay, now I know. Glad we're talking about grace. If only Santa could get grace. Anyways, um, when you receive that gift, can I ask you a question? Did you pay them for it? Well, why not? Why didn't you? I, I can't. No wonder they didn't give you a second gift. You received a gift and you didn't pay them for it? You didn't pay them back? No, because it was a gift. Mephibosheth's seat at the table was a gift based on a covenant between his, his dad and the king. How foolish would it have been for him to say, I got to pay you back. I got to maintain my spot. If I don't hold a certain level of goodness, will I lose my position? No, his seat at the table was guaranteed by a covenant that he didn't make himself. He just benefited from. And I like this because it said he ate at the king's table all the days of his life. Let me just say this. Did you catch the part? Like, <clears throat> even his fields were worked. The king had his fields worked for him. 
He didn't even have to work his own fields. That's grace. And it says, he ate at the king's table all the days of his life. Listen. <laughs> there is no end to the grace of God. I think maybe you need to hear that. No matter what you do, what you've done, mistakes you've made, there is no end to the grace of God. He ate at the king's table the rest of his life because of the goodness of the king. And, and, and you need to understand that your relationship with God is not based on your behavior. It's based on your belief that Jesus and God made a covenant and that Jesus was enough in your place. He was enough to pay for your sin. He was enough to provide you all the goodness of God, that Jesus and nothing else was enough. But then you have to understand that God's grace is without limit. There was never an end to sitting at the king's table and it had nothing to do with his performance, it had everything to do with this covenant, it had everything to do with the goodness of the king. John said it this way, and of his fullness, we've all received. Now, what is his fullness? He defines us. Of his fullness, everything that he is, we've all received. Can't earn it. Listen, God will not let you earn anything, but he will freely give you everything. Of his fullness, we have all received. And how did we receive that? And grace upon grace. Look at the verb tense of those Greek words and you'll see it's present ongoing. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace infinity. He never runs out of goodness. And that's good because sometimes we don't run out of badness. But I want you to understand today that your relationship with God, if you're a believer, your relationship with God is given to you. Salvation is a gift because of the goodness of God. And your place at the table is secured because of the goodness of God. And everything that God wants to do in and through your life comes by the goodness of God. And I want to free you from the thinking that if you mess up today, you've got to start over with God or you've got to earn your place with God or you've got to earn your place for, to be healed or you've got to earn your place to be blessed or you've got to earn your place to be provided for. You've got to earn your place to have joy. You've got to earn your place to have depression. If I were just as good as them, I could, I could be free of that. If I was just as good as them, I could have peace. If I was just as good as them, I, I, could, have, I could have joy. And what I want you to understand, no, no, no. You don't have to be good. You have to believe he is good. You don't have to earn it. You have to believe he paid for it. You don't have to obtain it. You have to believe that Jesus holds it in his hand and holds you in his hand and his goodness is extended to you because of what he has done and not because of what and if, and if you can't qualify yourself, you cannot disqualify yourself. It's too good to be true. But it is. Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise one more time? It's so good. Why don't you stand with me?